there's no handbook. You're just kind of moving off of, of off of off of vibes, off of feelings. Um, just reading the room. Reading okay. the room. You know, the room is huge in the business world. There's a big room with a lot of people in it. You know, so it's like, how do you navigate through all that and still keep a level head? There's a distinction that Daniel Hall often makes between creatives and artists. Artists are free to create as they please without any underlying accountability to others. Creatives such as himself are out to provide solutions to artists or brands. That clear distinction is something that has required a specific understanding between what it means to continually produce and the symbiotic relationship with money and business. As he said, there's no handbook. My name is Daniel Hall. I... That is a lie. Decatur Dan. Yes. Okay. Decatur Dan is my moniker, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm Daniel Hall. I am my mother's child. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I'm a photographer. I'm a director. I'm a creative. I'm a producer, entrepreneur, all those things. But I don't really like walking around saying that type of stuff. But on, on paper, yeah, that's, that's what I am. Decatur Dan, Daniel Hall, depending on what phase of his life you've met him, has clearly defined chapters to his career. An early start slanging streetwear for Standard in Atlanta would be his first opportunity to create content on the regular. The shop was one of two key spots in the area to cop the latest sneakers and gear. Regular customers and the vibrant music scene in Atlanta would mean that it wouldn't be long before Dan would turn the camera from sneakers and clothes to up and coming and established rappers in one of hip hop's biggest, if not most important markets. Working with the likes of T.I., 2 Chains, Big Crit, Jeezy and more was soon his new calling. Shooting music videos wouldn't be Dan's final career calling. One thing that Dan doesn't lack is agility and vision to reinvent himself and create the necessary upside to align himself with the right flow and the right people. I don't know if you can curse on this radio show. Doesn't matter. Okay. You can do whatever but, you want, Dan. Okay, great. Honestly, a lot of Street Smarts is just like, yo, I don't fuck with this person. I'm not going to fuck with this person. I'm going to move over here. So I think it's more so just like gravitating towards the things and the people that you do like and that's, you know, and, and staying away from, from, the, from the bad things. How much of that is innate and how much of that did you just learn being around hip hop and stuff? Whether you're coming up through the streets or building a career in creative culture, there's no roadmap. Dan's path is a testament to that. From shooting gear for an online store to music videos for 2 Chains and now Nike and Beats, they're all opportunities that had to be seized. The freeform nature can be simultaneously beneficial and challenging. It benefits those with a clear understanding of where they want to go, but a challenge for those that perhaps lack the confidence to define their own path and their own place. How you get there can look a thousand different ways, but what's certain is that there's the opportunity to leverage hard work, opportunities, and tolerance for uncertainty, unlike many other industries. You are your own gatekeeper. The best way to look at it is you and I connected under a very different pretense a long time ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think we actually met for quite a while after that, right? Like when we first probably the first time we met through on Alex AIM. on AIM, yeah. No, we never met through Alex. Oh for no, sure. no, no, we knew each other before Alex. Yeah, we definitely did. There was a lot of AIM back and forth. Yeah, you know, 
Lots of, hey, can you post this for me? I honestly was always super annoyed when Dan would hit me up because I knew he only wanted one thing, and that mm -hmm. was to post up. I was, was nice, but I but I gave you but I gave you good content. Yeah. So you had to post it. I didn't have to post it. But you wanted to. That was like the original relationship that we developed. Mm -hmm. But I think now looking back, what I find so interesting is that your hustle, honestly, is probably what has defined your whole career, right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's start at the very beginning of where I guess we connected or even before we connected, like what was it like growing up in Georgia mm -hmm. Decatur? And like, did you feel as though you had this sort of like creative drive or spirit or did you, did you grow uh, into that? I, I grew up around the production industry, you know, which is, you know, the production is not necessarily creative. They kind of go hand in hand, but they're, but they're also very separate too. So like I grew up around the production. My dad was a camera operator and edit, a video editor. And I never really wanted to follow in his footsteps, not because I, re I wanted to rebel. I had a great relationship with my father, but I kind of wanted to find my own way. And so, and my dad, and I, I wasn't really into what my, the, the, I guess the clientele that my dad was servicing, which was like mega churches and things like that. While I thought, you know, fooling around with cameras was cool and playing around in Final Cut Pro 4, you know, was, was fun. I was like, I wasn't into the content that was being created itself, just because I just, it wasn't of interest to me, you know? So, um, and it wasn't until later, until I was about, I was still in college when I started working with a pretty prominent DJ at the time, and he needed like some video content. And I was like, oh, well then, you know, I know how to do the, all this stuff. Like I, at that point in time was when I realized like, oh man, like I really wish I, I would have paid attention to like what my dad was kind of like showing me the ropes a little bit more. Yeah. I was always paying attention. I was just kind of learning through osmosis. So what were but, you yeah. doing with your skills at that time before the DJ approached you? Uh, I was, I was using them for Fun. the blog. For, for like for when I worked at Standard, uh, Standard worked, being a sneaker store, sneaker Standard the sneaker store, store in Atlanta. I mean, you know, at the time, I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure there's lots that have popped up now, but at the time, it was just those two. Being Wish, being Wish and Standard, and, standard. and like basically, and the blogs were starting to pop off now, yeah. but like store, but that was blogs were really like for for people like High Sobiety and yeah. Hype Beast and things like that. No store had a blog at the time, you know, really. Well, I, I basically, I launched the standard blog, like basically like found a template, hacked it up, whatever, and then just started putting content on there. Yeah. Um, and I basically- Did was, you know what you're doing at the time? No, it was, it was just playground. Yeah. But I, I, but I knew what I liked. I knew what I liked to read. And I knew what I like to see. Yeah. And so it was like kind of like twofold. It was like one, I'm going to basically, I mean, looking back on it, it's like one, I'm going to have this be a place. We didn't have a shop, you know what I mean? And the owner at the time didn't really want to spend, you know, lots of money like on yeah. an e-commerce e e sites back in the day were very expensive. There was no Shopify like there is now that you just pay like a monthly fee and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. It's like if you want an e-commerce site, it was going to cost you upwards of five to $10,000 to yeah. like code it from the ground up, you know, the whole thing. You had to have your own server. There was no, you know, all this stuff. So, AWS and um, stuff. Yeah. so needless to say, a blog was super like low barriers to entry. Like, yeah. you know, like get free WordPress, yeah. get the template, customize it a little bit and cool. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, this is a way for me to like update clients with yeah. what's new. But then I also wanted to make it a little bit like a community. So yeah. like I would post up stories and things like that. Yeah. It just, you know, things like that. Yeah. And, it, and it worked and people were engaged. When the time I left the store, they went from having no internet presence or, or just like social media internet presence. Like people yeah. were, you, you know, using MySpace, using uh, Facebook, wasn't even big then, Twitter to promote like themselves yeah. to getting, to getting, you know, 1500 unique views per day. Yeah. We're talking about for a small 
mom and pop kind of store yeah. in Atlanta that has like a national, if not global readership. Yeah. And that was, but honestly for me, that was, that was fun in doing it. Yeah. And did you think there was a timeline on that? Like it was, you kind of, yeah, we're going to get to the end of that. So yeah, I mean, it's, next- it's just evolved too. Cause now yeah. it's not, I mean, it's, it's evolved from blogging to Twitter, to Facebook, yeah. to now to Instagram, to, to whatever it is. Yeah. And so, yeah, so the platform was always changing. Yeah. People don't look for the same thing in a website that they do now that they did 10 years ago. So how did you parlay all of that experience into the next step or the next chapter? It wasn't really intentional. I, I, I ended up leaving that, that store just because it just, it was time. I kind of outgrown it. I wasn't, I was, you know, I kind of hit a, hit a glass ceiling or whatever. And, and unfortunately I had to, had to leave and I didn't really know what was next, but I knew I'd been practicing making content for the last two, three years. And I was like, what I was doing with that store, people would come in. I mean, there were celebrities be like, you know, Hey, can you do what you're doing for this store? Yeah. For me, you know, like, you know, whether that was like people like Greg Street or people like Don Cannon or, or you know, people who saw the value in what I was doing. I was like, Hey, can you apply this? Yeah. to to what I'm doing. And so then that turned transition from, okay, streetwear, menswear, clothing, sneakers, to, okay, hip hop, you know, like people would come to me with songs. They're like, all right, I have this, I have this track. This was back when like leaking tracks was a big deal. Like no one actually leaked the track. It was more so like intentionally leaked. Yeah. But they basically what you what I was doing was sending out a press release, you know, yeah. for lack of a better thing, and getting it on blogs. I had all these relationships with all these blogs because the hip hop bloggers who ran these hip hop blogs, they read the hype beasts and they read the heist of ideas and they read all this stuff and they knew my name and they knew be just from being passed around on, on internet circles or being sourced as like, yeah. you know, Decatur Dan, this is, you know, the photos by this person or whatever. Yeah. So from there, you ended up going into basically being hip hop PR kind of dude. Yeah. My, well, but, but I wouldn't say PR just because yeah. I was just doing that because that was, I did that out of necessity. Yeah. At what, at, at its core, what I like doing was, okay, the strategy or, yeah. or ending the strategy and then creating the actual content. How should we release this? Yeah. Oh, we should release this pulling references from, I don't know, some, some, whatever the newest innovative way to, to put something out was, you know what I mean? But, but content was still what I love to do the most, whether that was, you know, I would do, uh, I would just hang, I was a studio rat. Like I would hang out in the studio all day with these people when I wasn't in school, when I wasn't working with my camera and just record footage. I would go home after a couple of weeks of having collecting footage and I would cut together like a little teaser or a little yeah. something. And then we would release that and that would be promotional content to, to hype up whatever mixtape or whatever song or whatever project was about yeah. to be released. So and when you look back on that time there, what would you say was, you know, the application of what you learned prior? Was there, I mean, the way I look at it is like you went from interacting with still life and like mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. Yep. to like real world implications with like rappers and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. How was, was that different? Very different. Taking pictures of still life is, it's very controlled for the most part. Like it's just like you, you do everything at your own pace, at your own time. You know, you're really there just kind of like capturing what is the still life? This other stuff, it's like, well, you got to document it and like the camera and, and it's video. So cameras are rolling at all times. Documentary work is so hard because as soon as you stop recording is usually when the magic happens, yeah. you know? So that was tough. And then on top of that too, it's like, there was a lot of pressure because once you did one thing well, now it's like, they want you to do that every time. And it's just not that easy. Yeah. You know, it's not something that you can just spit out all the time. I mean, there's a, some of the stuff was very organic and just felt right. And it's just like, yeah, this is it. And then times where it was like not organic or not forced, but you know, sometimes we would just collect people's money and yeah. we would go through the motions and we would do things and we would do it, release Which, it. 
at that point in time, what was the expectation within hip hop? Like, what was the standard of quality the, required? The expectation was were kind of two twofold. Like, what 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 what's the time frame we're talking about right this now? This is like fuck, I don't know years, but like world star at its height. Let's say not right at its height, or yeah. two dope boys at its height. Yeah. Um, like, what were the artists at the time that you would say would define that define that genre? A lot of like I mean, a lot of this was like. A lot of this is like internet blog. This is like backpack internet kind of era. People like Asher Roth come to mind. People yeah. like the cool kids come to mind. Like whatever, whatever double XL freshman cover from that kind of Wiz, Wiz Khalifa, Currency. But the expectation was to flood the market. You know, like there was like an abundance of content. This is when content really started to become kind of disposable. Yeah. It's like, let's create a video or like, let's create this thing and let's just put it out. Like they didn't care if it was any good. As long as it was on a blog, as long as it was on a HD, I mean a, a DSLR camera and it was HD and it was in focus, it, you know, it was fine. It didn't have to be, they didn't care if it was good. It was just like, okay, we got it out there. How did you feel about that? I hated it. Yeah. I hated it because... I wanted every, I was a, I'm a, I'm still am a perfectionist. Creatively, I know that it's okay for things not to be perfect, but I also know when things, this is just, this is just dumb. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's just like, you can trick people. And I mean, I'm sure like they're fan, like, you know, when I, I guess when I really started to realize it was when I started working with Jeezy. This was like the height, height again of, of World Star. Rick Ross, which was at the time, like his, I guess, you know, arch nemesis, if yeah. you will, had like three videographers. And they were just cranking out video content every day. And Jeezy wanted me to kind of like, kind of compete with that. I'm like, look, they've got this thing set up properly. They've got multiple videographers. They've got editors that they have on standby. And they're just putting out content hand over fist. They had a good system down and it was, and it looked good and it was, and it was whatever. But it, at, at its core, it was still nothing. And so I just didn't like wasting energy and I didn't like wasting time. And then I also realized that... <laughs> I also realized when you're dealing with these, this caliber of, of artists, they have fans and their fans do not care how about the quality, about the quality yeah. if it's good, because they're going to like, they're going to like it. Jeezy yeah. would put out a trash record, like just like a bad single. I would just go on Twitter and I would just pay attention to like what people were saying and it would just be, but they would all love it. And they'd be like, this is the greatest ever. And it's just like, that's when I realized like the fans are going to ride for you no yeah. matter what. You know, the fans are going to be there. They're going to, they're going to support, which is good, which is great. But I knew from, from my end, from a, from a creative end, I wanted to just be making great stuff, yeah. you know, like that was undeniably good. It came to a point when Dan eventually felt it was time to move on. Mind you, this was a few years ago. Hip hop was undoubtedly a massive genre, but yet to fully recognize its new place atop the charts and popular culture. Dan's desire to be more driven by narrative, stories, and substance would be the push he needed to move away from creating content for the sake of content. So at what point did you 
feel as though it was time to move on? Like, was that sort of the, the definitive moment? Or was it just uh, no, like a No, no, I mean, run? basically what ended up happening was I started to kind of find my groove a little bit. And like, so some of this like kind of like documentary type work essentially is what it was. Like kind of this documentary, like fly on the wall, like pull a rabbit out your ass, you know, like record some footage and turn it into something type of thing. It just started to turn into more conceptual stuff. Like, so it's like, because the quality was so good, like not just from it being, like there was, you could tell a difference between maybe my work and maybe someone else's just because mine had a little bit more of a feeling to it or connected with it. Maybe it didn't, maybe it didn't look better, but maybe it just connected with, with the viewer a little, a little better. And essentially that led to like more conceptual work. So it was like, all right, cool. Like, well, because when you're, when you're working with these type of artists, you know, the rappers, it's like, they don't care whether or not you're a video director. All they know is you got a camera, you know how to operate it. We can shoot a music video. Okay. And so that kind of kicked off. Do you think that will ever change? Do you think hip hop will start to embrace no, a bit more? Of embrace what? Embrace more quality driven. I mean, yeah, they are. But here's the thing. The street artists don't care. The street artists are mostly concerned about whether or not, I mean, if it's affordable, if it's like a, you know, like, all right, cool. Is this like, why, why would I go pay so-and-so $50,000 for a video to cater Dan or, you know, whoever, $50,000 for a video when I can go get dude over here to do it for 5,000 or maybe even less. And they got the same camera, whatever. And like, so on, like, they don't really di differentiate like that. But like, when you look at artists like Kendrick Lamar, or even like, I remember, you know, it was a big thing when like Macklemore, like Macklemore, when he was first came on the scene, like his videos were always over the top. Once Macklemore blew up, they became big budgets. But when he first started, he, they weren't necessarily big budgets. He was just working with the right people. He was working with USC film students. He was, you know what I'm saying? So he was a little bit more resourceful and he, you know, he cared a little bit more about the craft. Seeing how this all played out, do you feel as though like you're, I mean, it's fair to say you loved hip hop. Yeah, yeah, right. for sure. Still like, do. Do you think that it left a bad taste in your mouth when you realized that the the qualitative nature of hip hop was maybe not even really ever considered, right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely as I think back on like my my uh, my time and doing that. There's like there's there's good memories and there's and there's bad ones. Um, what would be a good memory? Or what would be a bad memory? I mean, bad ones are just more like you know them not caring about the the craft. Like I as a as a director. As a video, as a music video director, let's let's say that, not a film director, or like, because it's very different when someone you're talking about someone who's directing their own short film yeah. or or their own documentary, because then the power is in their hands. But as a music video director, they're sharing the power with me. I could come up with the best treatment, I could do all the prep in the world, and I can I can be great. But guess what? If if the artist shows up six hours late and they're faded on and they're high and or they're unenthused maybe they've had a bad day because you know they've been going because their world is super complex and crazy i don't and i don't get the performance out of them that i need or i don't get the time that i need in order to create what i need to create well then that's what i mean by sharing the power like it's not in my hands it's not it's yeah. you know so it takes two people who who to come to the table yeah to come to the table and do it and so those yeah, are the bad experiences i've had cuz i've had a lot of opportunities that you know, kind of just fell flat and it wasn't necessarily, I don't want to, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but for whatever reason, it just kind of didn't work out. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time too, I chopped that up too. I'm, I'm a big person of like, it's all about timing. You know, I don't let that kind of discourage. I never let that really discourage me. Mm -hmm. I just kind of was like, 
I kind of took it with a grain of salt and I was like, all right, like, well, what's, how, how can I, how can I change that? Yeah. You know, how can I change that? But so the good memories, working with some of the most relevant artists of our time, I mean, especially with hip hop being the most popular yeah. genre. I mean, some of those artists, some of the artists on my roster, or not on my roster, but on my reel, are still some of the most. If, if I was to give you the ability to just like drop some names. Um, I've worked with pretty much every rapper in Atlanta, let's say five years ago, every rapper in Atlanta in some capacity, whether that was Jeezy and T.I., the older generation, well, for me, the older generation, or newer people like Future and, uh, and 2 Chains. So that, that whole spectrum, whether like I was directing a video for them or whether that was, or whether they were a featured artist, you know, but I've worked with T-Pain, I've worked with Lil Wayne, I've worked with, with all these different people um, in some capacity. So, but, but then obviously those people now, like they're either more or less relevant and there's tons of newcomers now. There's a new a new relevant rapper coming out of Atlanta every six months. Yeah. There's a new song. There's no hit song. And maybe that person stays around for five, ten years. Maybe that was it. Yeah. So there's there's an abundance of talent. So any, that's what I'm saying. Anyone can go there and have a camera and kind of just hang around and kind of like float around in the, in like in the, on the studio scene, go to different events and things like that. Yeah. And you'll catch work. You know, like you don't have to be the best in order to get a video with Gucci Man. Yeah, and I've never, never got a video with Gucci, but shouts out to Gucci. Yeah. Big, big Gucci fan. But so it's interesting because you've sort of laid out this path. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there seems to be a very chapter approach to your career in a way. Mm -hmm. Would you, would you disagree? Like, because I mean, you did the streetwear thing, mm -hmm. then you did sort of the behind the scenes work, yep. work, and then, and then music videos. And then after that, you just, ended up opening like a studio for sure right and like that work in itself was almost like a departure from sort of the un how do i put it it's like sort of not unfocused but the disorganized chaotic world of hip-hop mm -hmm. towards maybe something a little bit more streamlined and structured yeah and i'm, I'm very I, I will say this looking i mean you can always connect the dots looking backwards right yes. so for me none of this was very intentional you know, like I just kind of like took an opportunity. If, if there was a good opportunity that was put in front of me, I felt that that was for me. I would take that and I would run with it. Like for you, what, what defines a good opportunity? Like when you only know like, hey, you know, there's probably limited information, but like what's going on in your mind to define a good opportunity? I'm sure you have like a mental checklist. That yeah, you have a, I have a mental checklist, but it's really just a gut feeling. And it's more so like, all right, is this something that I'm interested in? You know, is this something that, you know, um, I can support myself. Is this Your something high taste level? Yes, high, yes. <laughs> Is this something that can, that I can use as leverage? Yeah. On to to get me to something another level. Yeah. And so I think if it checks like two out of three of those boxes, yeah. that I'm I'm into it. And I'm very fortunate. You know, I mean, I, I've worked I, I work very hard, but at the same time, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I never woke up one morning and said I want to be a music video director. I never woke up one morning and said I want to shoot footwear for for nike or or do stuff with beats but at the same time i, I love what i'm doing yeah how would and you so, say what you're doing now is different than anything in the past and maybe actually before we even get into that like what do you do now how would you describe what you create we provide creative and production services at the end of the day it's pretty it's pretty simple straightforward but we we definitely provide more than that there's a lot of intangible things that we provide it's like come to us we'll make your like we'll in and we work with clients um we come onto projects in different parts of the of the spectrum all the time. And what I mean by that is just like sometimes we get asked to like come up with some creative and you know, we'll do from concept to camera, shoot the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Other times the creative's already prepared and we're just, you know, shooting it. Other times 
they're, the creators prepared. Maybe there's another photographer. Maybe they just want want us to kind of support like with some video content or or provide our space or whatever. And I mean that's obviously not a big part of what we do. But if it's yeah. if it's the right project, then 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 we'll do that. But yeah, the the difference now is just like it, you know you. I mean the reason why I wasn't really happy with what I was doing before was like I mean as much as many good things as there were about it. Like it kind of boiled down to just the unprofessionalism yeah. that I was I wasn't used to. Like I consider myself a buttoned up kind of person in terms like responsible, of just responsible I, like I check all my boxes I, I do all my homework I work really hard in or and, and if, if I feel like that's not being yes. reciprocated on the other end because it's a partnership you know anytime yeah. you're doing a project with someone I do a lot of client work yeah 90% of the stuff I do is client work you know there's only a few things that are like personal project yeah. here and there yeah. so for me every project is like is like a boyfriend girlfriend relationship yeah. You know, so do you think or that not boyfriend girlfriend relationship, you, but you know it's a relationship. Do you think that people who question the creative capabilities of client work are actually not entering the right partnerships? Like they're not staking yeah. their claim. I just happen to be that type of person who's because I'm pushing, you know, right? Who's pushing yeah. and who's also like I said, like I like client work mainly because I, I'm not the type of person I'm not like I think there's so there's I think there's a big difference between an artist and a creative. You know what I mean? And those two things aren't necessarily the same. How would you de define them in your own words? Well, I think a creative is someone who can work for a client and, and produce work and they, they know where to draw the line and say, okay, like, even though, cause I mean, that happens every day, all the time. We're like, we have stuff that we want to do, like concepts that we're pushing, lighting, it can be the smallest thing, the retouching. And then the client will say, oh no, we want this brighter. We want this darker. Can you do this? Mm -hmm. You know? And at the end of the day, as a creative, that's, that's what you have to do. You have to listen to the client. They're the one paying the bill. As an artist, an artist also, a lot of times, they have a message. They have something that they're, an agenda, uh, something that they're trying to get bring across, into the world, yeah. bring into the world, a story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. And so, but they're a lot more stubborn, if you yeah. will. And that's why client work probably kills them. Yeah. You know, like they hate it. On the flip side of that, what is it? The, what is the saying? The best business is one of the, is the best art. Is that Andy Warhol? Sounds of some vaguely sort. familiar, but I'm not, <laughs> not going to back you up on that one because I don't know it. But it's, it's true. It's, it's valid. You can, you can fact check it yeah. if you want. That definitely sort of connects into my next question because do you consider yourself an astute business person? And if you do or you don't, people will eventually look at the photos and be like, hey, this is like a pretty nice-ass studio that, you, that you're working out of. Like this took time and obviously the ability to, to rise to the occasion with different jobs and like For client sure. work. So like I think that... The, the most interesting thing is like over the course of your career, how far has the financial consideration been mm -hmm. from everything you've done? For me, for me. Because like I know the stories like you were telling me back in the day where you're like hustling to sell like sure. you know, leftover t-shirts or whatever. Sure, sure, right? sure. I think I think it goes for me, it boils down to I am I know I'm not the smartest business person out here. Finances and economics and all that type of stuff. Like that stuff to me, it's not that it doesn't matter. That's not my business though. Mm -hmm. What I do think I'm good at is like street smarts as it pertains to business. Give and me an example. What, what is street smarts in your eyes for someone that like doesn't have it? Um, like yourself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Use me as an example. <laughs> uh, I heard that, Alex. <laughs> it's kind of... Is it because I've never smoked and sold crack? Is that why? No. <laughs> that's not street smarts. Street smarts is... Uh, <laughs> I think it kind of boils down to, for me, 
knowing how to navigate in the, in the field that you're in. Yeah. There's no handbook. You're just kind of moving off of, of, off of, off of vibes, off of feelings. Um, just reading the room, reading the room, you know, the room is huge in the business world. There's a big room with a lot of people in it, you know? So it's like, how do you navigate through all that and still keep a level head and do that? So I think that's kind of what street smarts is. A lot of it's intuition. I don't know if you can curse on this radio show. Doesn't matter. Okay. You can do whatever you want, Dan. Okay, great. Or just honestly, a lot of street smarts is just like, yo, I don't fuck with this person. I'm not going to fuck with this person. I'm going to move over here. So I think it's more so just like gravitating towards the things and the people that you do like. And that's, you know, and, and staying away from, from the, from the bad things. How much of that is innate and how much of that did you just learn being around hip hop and stuff? I think some of it is quite frankly, genetic could be, I mean, my favorite genre is, is hip hop and not necessarily, not even just hip hop, gangster rap, not because only because I've worked a lot of these people. So I can, I under, I know their stories. Like I, I work with future when he was right after he had changed his name from meathead to future. No one knows him as that, but you know, so so I've seen his progression, you know what I mean? And so the stuff that he's talked about, I've seen him experience that. And not of all, all of it's street stuff. Some of it's like romance, some of it's whatever. It's a way of kind of like carrying yourself and a way of handling yourself and like really just kind of being solid, like, yeah. you know what I mean? And not like being weak. And, and that's stuff that, I, you know, it's I, I didn't just learn that from my influence with hip hop. I learned that from my influence with sports. I learned that from growing up in the, in the, in the area where I grew up, you know? Yeah. Um, what, do, what do you mean by that exactly? Growing up in a tougher community than, than most. It wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't necessarily that dangerous, you know, but it also wasn't just like everything wasn't all peachy clean, yeah. you know, whatever. You had to watch out for yourself. You had to take care of yourself, you know what yeah. I mean? Or you had to, or you had to take care of your friends and your friends had yeah. to look after you. So in general, we're, we are a product of our env- environment. Yeah. Yeah. And my, so my environment made me kind of made me who I am today. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess to that point, like you being defined by that, do you feel as though most creatives that you see and you interact with lack that sort of understanding and that street smarts because yeah, I, I would yeah, say in general sure. like you that's probably the one of the most definitive things is that like here you think you that's you think that's what a competitive would, edge well uh, for you yeah for yeah. sure like I, I would argue that for the most part like a lot of creatives out there don't don't stumble into the creative industry mm-hmm. on the basis of yeah. the business side yeah, they yeah. do it because they love making videos photography whatever it may be yeah, so yeah. like i guess I'm, I'm always fascinated to see how should they approach business like right. how have you approached business in a way that allows you to in your eyes like basically bring your creative ideas to light and not fight it for a lot of creative people they just simply feel as though there's something that's going to happen the minute they introduce money too much money whatever Uh, yeah a lot listen money is an uncomfortable situation for a lot of people it's not just creatives or or anyone as soon as you start having to talk about money it is something that is not going anywhere you're always going to have to negotiate you're always selling yourself i don't care if you, you might not be a salesperson but you're always selling yourself your your salary your rate your this your that these are things that are always going to come up it's it's worth getting comfortable have like being able to talk about those conversations for even for me this i don't I don't love to have the conversations either. You know, I've definitely gotten better at it. I definitely know when to put my foot down. I know when to be flexible. I'm the same person who will charge you extra for every little thing that you, that we, that we do. I'm the same person who will do a free photo shoot for you. 
you know? So knowing when to bend and when not to bend, kind of one of the things that it just does someone, it takes experience too. Yeah, does someone need to just go through that and get burned a few times? Have you approached failure in your eyes? Failure sucks. At the same time, to me, there's also such a thing as failure. Failure is like being burned, that's nothing. That's easy. That's like, you know, I mean, sure. We've all been there. Like I've, I've, I've had my, I've looked at my bank account before and had no money in it and been like, what, what? you know, it, it sucks. But let's talk about real things. You want to talk about like, you know, losing a loved one. There, there's so many worse things that cause way harder pain that that type of stuff is just something you got to yeah. push through. Do you think that pushes you to be more open towards taking risks and whatnot? Like what does taking a risk look like? Taking a risk eyes? looks like what we're sitting in right now. Yeah. Like, um, you guys can come in here and look at it and it's like, wow, this is great. And this is, this is, this is awesome. And this is whatever. And from the outsiders looking in, yeah, it is. But at the same time, I signed a five-year lease, you know, an eight-year loan. Like those are the type of risks, but you know, but I think you, you, you do those things. It's all based on your gut and it's like, all right, cool. You know, you got to do it. It, it. You know, there's, it's even how I got to LA. I didn't get to LA because of one thing. I got, I moved from Atlanta to Los Angeles for a, there was a culmination of things. It was a perfect storm, if you will. And that's the same way that leads me here. So even though, yes, on paper, it's a risk at the same time, you got to look at where all the signs are pointing. And if they're all pointing in one, you got to take that. And if you don't take that risk, then, you know, people want to look at the signs or, or lack thereof signs when, as they're taking risks. And then once they do that, they just kind of forget about the whole thing. But, you know, it's important for me to like, after you took that risk, continue to look at it and see if you are heading in the right direction. Because then if it's like, if you took the risk, everything was pointing in the right, like what you thought was the right direction, you went down that direction. And then if it's been a year, if it's been two years and that direction doesn't seem to be panning out, well, then you need to back out and you need to go another way. The amount of jobs that we did in this studio last year alone was like a big sign that this was the right decision. You know, we did our first job with this robot that, you know, I was so, you know, scared of purchasing or or whatever. Dan loves to talk about his robot. Um, (laughs) Uh, Not true, but, um, (laughs) but yes, because there's such a big financial. No, I understand. There's a big emotional uh, attachment to it too. But like we were able to book a big job with that, they're really paid off. It's something that I'm not, it's not even about the robot. It's like, a, I was able to create something that I'm really proud of that has attracted other talent to the studio, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, everything is kind of like building blocks. Every moment in life is pregnant with the next moment in life. Yeah. For me, it's like, yeah, did you make the right decision? And then you gotta, you gotta, you gotta gut check that decision yeah. as you go along. All right, was this the right thing to do? Okay, cool. There's no denying there's a sense of like confidence whenever you speak, like a swagger. Mm-hmm. So, does it mean that unless you have that built in, there's never going to be any sort of success no. in, in someone's like... No, you know? no, because I'm... I guess it's, and it's not like something I'm intentionally doing. I'm not like consciously trying to exude confidence right now. But for every moment... But I, there's definitely moments where I'm not confident. There's definitely moments where I'm, I'm insecure about yeah. you know my decisions or whatever. And it just kind of ebbs and flows. How important is it to feel that though? It's important to feel both of them because like, honestly, on one side, you got to let your ego, ego has a negative connotation, but it's sometimes you got to let your ego shine through because if you've been putting in the work and you've been doing, doing hard work, no one's going to sell yourself for you. So you kind of got to like, let that show, but it's also important to be humble too, because all this stuff can be taken away from you, you know, at the same time, you know, it doesn't have to be 
could always be worse. Recognizing that, but it's a balance, man. It's a balance just like anything else. And that's such a cliche thing to say. There's definitely a balance. And knowing just kind of when to be confident, when to be humble is kind of the biggest, biggest challenge. But, it, you know, you just got to be yourself, you know. But I've definitely gone through a phase where I was not, when I first, when I left music videos and I first moved out here and I first started doing the studio work, I definitely was like, what am I doing? Yeah. What, like, I just worked so hard to build up this, this one career, this one thing. Yeah. What, what's going on? If the balance between business and creativity is the primary concern of a creative, then the relationship between ego and self-doubt are a very close second. One thing that Dan seemingly doesn't lack is a sense of confidence. It could be earned through past accolades or simply being around a culture of hip-hop that has rarely allowed participants to show weakness. Regardless, what Dan says is something that's often lost on those who don't feel comfortable selling themselves. Nobody's going to do it for you, nor should you expect someone to take on this responsibility. Was it hard to make that transition out of a, a place where you built up a name for the sake of starting basically a new career? Like, yeah, what? it was hard. It was very hard. It was very scary. I was like, I just not, yeah. I mean, it was always something that I knew I could go back to, but I'm not a big fan of going backwards. I'm not afraid to go backwards if I have to. It's also not, not something I want to do. Yeah. You know, no one, may, no one wants to consciously make the wrong decision. But I moved out here and like for a long time, I was like, I wasn't really proud of what I had done. You know, I was like, man, like being back home from, from you know, in, in Atlanta, like, you know, it's like, oh, Dan, like just up and left. Like, you know, like, or, you know, there's always like the, you know, you can hear the voices of like, oh, like he fell off. Like he's not doing music videos anymore. People associate it with failure, even though. On the flip side, I'm building up to do something bigger and better than I've ever done before. And, and I guess only recently in the last, you know, couple years, months, whatever, have I really started to kind of see that pay off. And so that's, and that's probably why, you know, I'm more confident now than I was back then. Yeah. But, you know, you got to put your head down and you got to work. You got to yeah. grind. There's seasons. There's always not a season for being on top. Is there anything? that is outside of your professional life that contributes to your professional life? Like you asked that question and like, I'm not big on like artistic inspirations and things like that. Like I don't have like, like an artist, uh, let's say a photographer or a director who I'm aspiring to be like, all that stuff is kind of like self, self-motivated or, or it's all internal. And there's, there's definitely people who I respect the hell out of and there's people who I admire and there's people who I look to for maybe like style and things like that. But like sometimes like people ask me those questions and I'm like, uh, those names don't even roll off my tongue that fast because I'm just like, I got to think about it. You know, yeah. this is, sounds kind of cliche too, but like exercising, um, and just overall health has been a big thing in the last year for me. Wake up early, working out, eating right. Your body is, it really is. You only get one, you know what I mean? And, and it's your temple. And as you take care of it, it will take care of you. And I, as I grew up, growing up an athlete and just, you know, training really hard and then not doing that for a long time uh, and then getting back into it, it just reminds you, like, you know, if you can push yourself, because it's, it's all the same, you know, like whether you're pushing yourself in the gym or whether you're pushing yourself at, at work, like the the work ethic is is still, you know, it's it's the, ex, you know, if you're if you're exercising hard work, it doesn't matter what arena you're in, yeah. but there's definitely been times where, you know, because I think in general, it's important to fail. It's important to try and fail, I guess is what I'm saying. And like, what, it doesn't matter where you're getting that from, it, whether that's your industry, whether it's, whether it's something else, because you have to trick your brain because, you, you, you know, it's like you get to this point where you're like, there's no way I can do this. I can't like, you know, my trainer will be like, well, I need like you just did this, but we're going to do this exercise. And I'm like, I look at him like, that's impossible. 
there's no way that's happening. Yeah. And then I'll sit there and do it and I'll push myself yeah. and he might have to help me, but, but I get through it, yeah. you know? And I think that type of stuff, it bleeds over into other arenas. Yeah. Do you think that the world of athletics and the creative world are actually more closely tied than people give them credit for? Absolutely. That's why I love sports. And I'm not the biggest sports fan in the world, but I know the, I know the value that, that playing sports for me played, played in my life. You know what I mean? And like, and sports, sports is great in a lot of different ways. Even if you didn't play sports, like it, it can unite you. It can unite people. It's an amazing thing. I remember, you know, when the Falcons lost the Super Bowl, I was extremely upset and just like sad. I'm just like, why am I feeling? I had to ask myself, like, why do I feel this way? Yeah. I don't care. Like, I, like at the end of the day, I'm not getting paid off of it. Yeah. You know, like I didn't bet in, on it, but I wanted my team to win, you know? And like, so there's, there's the emotional connection that I don't, I, I haven't really looked into that much, but sports is of, it, it just plays a very deep role into a lot of things and athletics and, and taking care of your body. And I'm a hardworking person, but I'm also a pretty lazy person. So it's, it's definitely tough to get into that routine and get into that regiment. But once you do, it's, uh, it has a lot of long-term benefits. Do you see yourself doing what you're doing for a long time? Like, have you finally found a chapter of your life that has no end in sight? You know, I didn't know that I was going to be here doing what I'm doing now. But I think I found a kind of a, a niche in some form of capacity. What I'm going to do is going to probably change over time. But it's kind of always going to be around creating I'm a maker of things. And right now it's mostly content, you know, but that could change, but it's, there's production. It's production about, and people say production and, you know, especially in, in Hollywood, like production has a, has a, a connotation. Production to me just means producing, making something from nothing. And that's why when people say I'm a producer, I'm like, well, you know, obviously what kind of producer are you? You know, cause are we talking like even, even in the creative world, the film world, whatever that has so many different types yeah. of meanings, let alone like other industries such as music or digital producer, yeah. or, you know, there's like, there's so many different ways to produce. So, you know, but I think what I'm good at is understanding what needs to be done and figuring out a way to, to get that done yeah. in the best way possible. And, and that's why too, like a lot of like the, the street smarts and stuff that you talk about, it's like, it's like working with people, you know, you're, I'm working with people. I'm a, a people person to a degree. And that's why it's like, I can hire someone and we get the job, we're going to get the job done no matter what. But that might be a one-off experience or I might hire you and we're going to work together for yeah. forever. Mike, first time we worked together, he drove from LA to San Francisco to do photo shoot with Nike. And since then we've worked together every, almost every day, you know, since then. Shout out to Mike. Yeah. Visual assassin. And those are the type of relationships and those are the type of things that I seek out. And like, I don't need to, and those don't come very often. They don't come, but it doesn't matter. Like if you get, if you get, if you meet someone like that, you just keep building on that. We're a small, nimble team here. Our studio gets more done with a smaller team than some studios get done with a, you know, a staff of 50. And we pride ourselves on that. That's something that I can hang my hat on. Fast, we're nimble, but it's not because we're doing anything special other than just working with the bright people who get it. Back in the day or, you know, everyone, there's like one thing. There's like everyone wears one hat and now it's like no like I don't wear one hat You know, so why should anybody that works for me wear one hat? Do you think hat? that is where creatives are going the need for people to have? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean now it's like creative directors can't just be creative directors I mean creative directors just used to be deck Organizers, you know put together a deck now you got to know how to use cinema 4d now You know got to know how to do photo use Photoshop now you got to I mean, you know now you got to know how to 
take a look, a decent picture just so you can do a comp or mock something up. Five, 10 years ago were not the case. It's about enabling yourself, yeah. giving yourself the power, you know, so, so you're not always depending on someone else. Taught myself how to do a lot of things. I also will, I know what I'm, what I don't need to teach myself. The era that we're moving towards right now, I mean, also with technology and software becoming so much more accessible, we're talking about DaVinci Resolve, a coloring software used to be tens, you know, five, ten thousand dollars to buy a license. Now they give it away for free. So it's really in your hands. It's up to, to you to teach yourself, you know, the craft. If it's something you're passionate about, if it's something you're passionate about, it won't even feel like work. You don't have to be the best at everything, yeah. but you need to know how to get your message across. Looking at what you've achieved so far and where you want to go, like how much of this is defined by luck? How much of it is defined by hard work and talent? I don't like to use the word luck. I like to use the word fortunate, but there's definitely been some, some great opportunities that have kind of just come my way. Was there ever a moment in time that, you know, there's an opportunity that you wish you had handled differently or that you had the opportunity to engage in and it just never happened? No. Nope. Do, do you have regrets? Uh, yeah, I have some regrets. Yeah. yeah. I have some regrets. Like what? During the music music video phase of, of my kind of career, I was very selective with the jobs that I picked, which is, there was rightfully reason so, but looking back on it, I should have done everything that I could. I should have busted my ass. I should have not slept, you know, which, which I, there was times, there was plenty of those, those instances, but I could have just done more. There was, especially with, but there were, there was artists who, who, you know, who wanted to work with me that maybe they didn't have the budget or maybe, or maybe like it was just going to make, make me a little uncomfortable because like I had another project that I was doing and we couldn't work it out. There was a lot of videos yeah. left on the table or I was a very, like, let's say I'm, I'm a pretty emotional person yeah. in general. And so like, let's say I was supposed to do an, like this happened all the time with future like me and him would he would tell me he wants me to do a video and i would like we, i would get all ramped up for it i would write the treatment we would start pre-production on it and then the label that he was signed to would the the major would then say no we're, we're gonna work with this director instead and then i would get all you know, like butthurt and sad about it and i would think it was future's fault and some i mean you know maybe maybe some of it was yeah. but i i shouldn't have and then i would just like maybe we wouldn't we would lose contact for a little bit and we wouldn't talk and then there were so there was so, there were so many projects that i should have just said like he's got so many hit songs i could have just said all right cool like what's the next one Let's yeah. do the next one. I, I shouldn't have been so emotionally worked up about yeah. it because, I, like I said, there was a lot of good content left on, I, left on the table. But, like, you know? why do those regrets even matter knowing that that's no longer what you do? Like, well, that's why, that's, that's why they, well, that's why I answered that question kind of like that, in that way of like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm where I'm, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be and I feel like I'm moving in the direction that I'm supposed to be moving towards. So, but I just know that, it's about experience, you know, and I didn't grow up on a set, you know, even though I did grow up around my dad being a camera operator, editor or whatever, I did get, I did have some experience, but I didn't come up the ranks, the, the normal way of like, you're a PA and then you're, you know, maybe you work your way as, as a grip, then you're a gaffer, then you're a camera assistant, then, then you, maybe you become a DP, then, then, then you can yeah. direct something. And like, those are people have, I mean, some, some DPs, they have 10 years of experience before they've ever even turned on a camera. I didn't have that. I literally was a, I'm, I'm born of like the DSLR boom. So it's like, because I had access to a camera and because I was already kind of creative and I wasn't afraid, I just got the technology and jumped out there and sink or swim moment. So, and there's something to be said about that too. In terms of my regrets, I wish I would have done more because number one, I would just have, the more, you know, the more work you do, I mean, the more chances you are for, yeah. for, I don't like, if I look back on my 
my um, music video stuff now, there's only a handful of projects that I'm like really happy about and yeah. excited. And like, this is something, this is like, this will stand the test of time. Which one of those? Don't make me name drop my own stuff. What? No, I'm kidding. We but, all want to know. Uh, I mean, I really liked some of the work I did with Big Crit for a song called What You Mean. Yeah. A lot of the work I did with 2 Chains. We yeah. only did like three videos, but all of those. Turn Up, there's a song you guys had called Turn Up, video for a song called Riot that I was really proud of. And some there was some documentary stuff here and there that was like small stuff, yeah. but it's just like, but the con but when you look at it, it's like a format that I could go back and I could replicate now and I could do that for Nike and it becomes, and it's a, and it's a commercial. At the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, which I think is beautiful. There's, because there's power in not knowing. There's power in being a rookie. There's power in, because you're going into it and you're not going into it with all of the crazy things that'll psych you out. You know, you're just like, all right, this is what we got to do. Let's do it. You just start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And before you know it, you've got something, you're like, oh, this is cool. And it's just so pure and it's just so, and it's just so innocent. You're like, how did you do that? You're like, I just did it. And now I feel like I'm back to that point because now I feel like, all right, cool. You have to learn everything in order to know what rules you want to break, in order to know what matters, in order to know what doesn't matter. Having control over this, like, and consciously saying, you know, I want to consciously leave this out or I want to consciously add something here that's going to add to the mood, that's going to add to the feeling of something. That's something that takes time. What's the last thing that you've done that you were scared of? That I was scared of? Yeah. Don't tell me you don't get scared. I get scared all the time. I used to get scared before every music video because there was a lot of uncertainty in them. Now I don't get as scared as much because I'm big, we're big on prep and I have the capacity in this, in the space to, to do that. So I, I know what we're doing before we do it. You know, we did a shoot for beats that for product red that was featuring, uh, Yvonne Orgy. We tested out the lighting and everything beforehand. We had, the shoot was done before she even got here. All she had to do was walk in and sit down. I mean, obviously there was a rapport and you have to like get the right, the right shot and things like that. So doing it this way makes, makes things a lot more, um, a lot more thought out, a lot more secure. But the last thing I did that I was scared of, I don't know, was, it was probably taking the risk and and moving into a bigger studio space. It probably wasn't anything like a project related. Do you think that really just comes down to being in a mind state where like nothing phases you? Cause I, that's kind of what I feel as though. There's nothing that's inherently going to be so big, so bad that you, you can't get that's past That's kind it. of, and that, but that's more so come with me. That's more so come with age than it has necessarily with anything else. Like it's not now, personality. It's not, it's not personality. It's just comes with age. Like now it's like something bad happens. You know, I used to be the person who would be depressed or I'm going to be, or I'm going to blow a gasket and be mad and yelling at people, like just going crazy. Yeah. To now it's like, it's not that big a deal. You know, my friends or the people who, who I work with are more like, you're not mad about this? More than I'm just like, eh, yeah. I'll be patient. You know, yeah. I'll be patient. Let's, let's figure it out. At the end of the day, everything's going to work itself out the way I'm, I'm a believer in the, like the universe. And so like everything's going to work its, its way out the way it's supposed to, you know? So it's not that anything phases me. Yeah. It's more so that I know that it's, this is not in my control. Yeah. And so whatever I do right now is not going to, yeah. to change anything. Yeah. Before you embarked on this career as a creative, what did you think it'd be like and what has been the reality? I don't know the specifics of what I thought it was going to be like. I don't remember like what I thought it was going to be like to what's been the reality. I can tell you that it's not what I thought it was going to be. I can tell you, it's, you know, and that's, you know, you have this idea, you paint this. I'm a very like visionary type of a person. It's like you paint this idea of what you think it's going to be like in your head. And then you get to that point and you're like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Not to say that it's better or worse. It's just different. 
And every, every instance is, and every situation is different. And, but I think that's kind of what keeps me going is I'm still, I'm always chasing that, that romantic idea of, of whatever I'm chasing, you know? And I think as long as you do that and you keep your wheel spinning and you keep growing and you keep progressing, one day you're gonna look up and you're gonna look back and you're gonna say, wow, like look, look how far I've come. Like that's what makes that's it what interesting. keeps me going. It's just like, all right, cool. Like I'm still not there. I'm still not there. Like we gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. So, and, you, and the reality is you, you'll never get there. 